Uh, good morning, or afternoon, or whatever time it is where you are. You guys know that 7 or 8 p.m. is still considered the afternoon in Spain, right? I love that. Welcome back once again to the Metropolitan Culture Corner, where this month we welcome actress, director, playwright, producer, and activist, Denise Duncan. One week from today is International Women's Day. My hope is that someday society will get to the point where we won't need to talk about women or black people or LGBTQ people or any other kind of people as if we were fighting for the rights of some kind of endangered species. Maybe one day we can all just be people and live together on this earth. But for now, the world is what it is. It's a beautiful world. It's a world with a long way to go, and we've got to keep fighting the good fight. So I can't think of a better guest to interview this month than a talented, powerful, creative woman like Denise Duncan, who has carved a path for herself in a complicated industry. Denise has a ton of degrees to her credit, including a degree in directing and dramaturgy from the Institut de Teatre in Barcelona. She has worked as an editor, a radio host, a journalist, and a television presenter. But since 2002, she has devoted herself mainly to the world of theater. Since then, she has premiered around 20 works on stages in Spain, Costa Rica, and the United States. The plays often deal with issues such as racism, exclusion, sexism, and the challenges faced by marginalized groups, though they also deal with universal themes such as love, death, the need to belong, life, right? Her autobiographical work, Estaline de la Mar, won the Mostra de Teatro de Barcelona Award, and she's been recognized with numerous other prizes and honors since. She was the resident author at Barcelona Sala Beckett during the 2019-2020 season, and is a founding member of La Pulpa Teatra and the Colectivo Tinta Negra, a theater collective which promotes racial diversity on stage. Don't laugh at my cat accent. I am doing the best I can here. Okay? Molbe. Denise also recently participated in the forum City, Conflict, and Emancipation at the CCCB during the Open City Thought Biennial 2020. Man, this is what I call a working woman. She just does not stop. Respect, you know? Denise's latest work, El Combat del Segla, or The Fight of the Century, was just premiered as a part of the Grec Festival a few months ago. It was supposed to premiere last July, but the festival was pushed back due to the pandemic, just like everything else in life in 2020. Without further ado, welcome, Miss Denise Duncan. Thank you so much for being with us today at the Metropolitan Culture Corner. As a society, we have decided to divide people. And I think that I work, or I try to work, trying to understand why that happens and trying to change it a little. It's about loving each other. I cannot understand the world any other way. One day, somebody asked me, how would you end racism? I said, I have no idea, I wish I knew. But I think it has to do with love. That's the only thing I know. I think it has to do with the capacity of loving other people and our need to be loved. Well, I like your earrings. Those are very cool. Um, Did you read what they say? It says something, danger educated black woman. I like it even better now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us for the interview. Let's start at the beginning. Okay, you were born in Costa Rica, but came to Barcelona to the theater. I was a thousand and six or something like that, yeah. So what kept you here in Barcelona after you finished? Studying and what do you think about the arts and theater team here? Of course, I studied when Barcelona was like full of opportunities for people that were in the theater scene, and uh, that's not the case in Costa Rica. Actually, in Costa Rica, most of the people have like their regular job and then they do theater. And at that moment, at Barcelona, it wasn't a real chance that you could leave out of doing theater. So that's the first I stayed, and then I think it's very important when you are dedicated to these kind of things that you have a lot of choices. 
and a variety of things that you can see and that you can read and to live. I mean, for me, it's a, a city that still today, even through this crisis, you still have a lot of things in the cultural scene that you can that you can live. For me, that was very important. And what keeps me here, it has to do like with a, a life purpose. Because I think that here in Barcelona, there are not many Afro creators. And I do think that it's part of my journey in this life to, to be here and try to expand the way we see theater and the way we see life through theater. When you're writing for theater, you have in mind this idea that actual humans will be bringing your words to life in front of other humans. It's not quite the same concept as writing a book or a piece of poetry. So what, what draws you to write specifically for theater? That's a very good question because I started writing like regular like um, stories for kids when I was a little kid. Actually, my first book I wrote it when I was like seven. And my dad is a writer; he's a novelist, and uh, he used to lend me his uh, typewriter. And uh, at first, I, I thought that was like the only thing there was. But then I think that the idea of that story coming to life is so exciting. It's like you know that it changes a lot depending on who is doing it and how they understand the story and who is directing the whole idea of theater for me is we still have like this very human and basic things we come together like it's a bonfire and a fire and we, we tell each other stories and we need that presence so for me that part doing something together especially in this world that we're so used to doing things by, by our own that theater still exists it's like we still have this need for celebration and getting together and trying to understand the world but as a group not only as an individual really. how much do the people that you work with change the end result of your piece when you're writing you have an idea in mind of what it's going to be like so how much input do you want people to give you and how much do you want to control the process of the director since i write most of the plays i direct i, I have like this process that i try to do i try to write the play and then have period of time of not touching the text and acting like it's not mine and then i make like the second part of the process that is the director mind getting into it and trying to understand it like it's somebody else's and uh, trying to uh, design the project the part that belongs to the scene luckily for actors and actresses that i'm quite into having inputs from other people and i also think that theater is not only a group thing in regards to public but it's also a group thing in regards of the process itself. I tell them, if you say something that is really, really clever, I'm gonna put it in the text and I'm gonna sign it. So they know that I do that actually, and I do. It has happened that sometimes people are like, that joke was so funny, I'm not funny at all. So I know that's not mine. It's part of the, of the reason I love it. I actually think that most of the things I write are not mine in the sense that I think that our ideas just fly all over the place and your job is to, to write them down. Of course, I like them and I, and I fight for them, but it's like if somebody else has a better idea, of course, I'm completely open to it. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, you went from not necessarily directly addressing topics like racism or sexism in your work to becoming known for addressing them really specifically and really directly. So I'm sure you've gotten this question before, but was there a particular event that made you decide, you know what, I need to use this work as my platform to explain things that are important to me personally? Or was it a series of events that over time changed your perspective? It was a combination of things. The first thing that happened is that the first prize I got ever was for a, a play that I wrote that was about race and it was quite personal and then I didn't forget about it because you cannot forget who you are eh, no matter what you do but I didn't take that as a, something that I had to do but it was a process that I also went through. I think I've become more conscious of many things and it came to a point where I said what was the difference that I could make 
in Barcelona specifically, I thought, well, race and um, gender and these things that you were talking about, but nobody's talking about them. So I said, so you're the first one who has like this responsibility. But I have to say, I'm really looking forward to forgetting about it in the sense that I think that there's a sad part of it, that it's still necessary to talk about certain things. I always say that my dream will be to, to stop having a, a topic to talk about, like, but I think that's really far away. But I enjoy it. I think it serves a purpose and I think that um, it's absolutely necessary. And I also became part of a couple of groups. One is a feminist, a feminist patient, and then Tinta Negra, that's a, a group of actors, actresses, and creators in Barcelona. I think that was the second click, that it was like meeting this group of people. It makes you feel that you're not alone, which I think it's quite important. Sometimes you feel like you don't exist. Being with them was like one step forward. The force that we have is collective and that it's part of the reason we're here. I think that's really beautiful. Several of your plays, which hopefully I get the titles correct, El Aliento de las Ancestras, or one of the more recent works, Negrata de Mierda, specifically deals with being Black in Spain or in the context of Barcelona, Catalonia. So do you feel like Spain, Catalonia, Barcelona, any of these places, society in general has made progress since you started writing these kinds of plays when it comes to racism, when it comes to sexism? I think we have made some progress. I think it's not as obvious as I would like it to be. When I wrote I have a friend that tells me I cannot talk about this. He works in Chicago. He's a teacher there and he's like, I cannot talk about your play because it has like all the rewards in it. With this play for me, it was quite interesting, not only the reaction of the people that went to the play, but the kind of people that went to the play. So amazing. Actually, one of the people in the theater told me I've never seen so much diversity in this place. And I, I've been working here for 15 years. So I asked them, well, maybe we should ask ourselves why. I mean, you're talking about things that are not about these people. They don't feel that they belong here. They feel that not only the theater scene, public should be white too, like you're not really talking to them. For me, it was like trying to understand the process that implies that black people kind of don't exist here. That part of the story has been pushed away. Like with this play, El Aliento de las Ancestras, I have this present timeline and then I do like a, a trip from 18 something to 1945, like related to Spain. And this came across because I read a piece in a newspaper that talked about how in Spain, but specifically in Catalonia, like there's a lot of money that came from slavery. And I was quite amazed that it's something that nobody talks about. It's like it doesn't exist. Like, for example, so I live really near uh, by a street that has a name of a guy that used to trade with black people. People don't even know that's the name of this guy. It's just a street, you know. And then the last play that I did, that was El Combat del Secla, that I was in La Sala Beckett. Not only it was the first time that a, an Afro-descendant woman directed a play with a black protagonist, but it was also a, the opportunity to see that we can talk about these things and make people be interested. Because I think that sometimes when we're activists, we tend to do things that appeal to people that are already like thinking about these things, right? And for me with the Combat del Segre, it was interesting because I think it was for a, a wider range of public. At Tintanera it has happened that people call us, they call to ask things. I mean, to ask, for example, I had a friend that called me, he was gonna make a Shakespeare play and he was not sure how to treat the black character in that play. So we sat down and we talked about it and this has happened a lot. And for example, now with the Greg Festival, it's going to be dedicated to Africa and afro We've had a couple of meetings with the director and he's really interested and he's making questions. I mean, I think little by little, maybe the change is not that visible, 
yet, but we're starting to make people understand what we're talking about and not be reactive. Sometimes it's the first reaction, like, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a racist. Let's stop this conversation. And now it's like, okay, maybe they're not saying I'm a racist, but at least they're asking the questions and trying to understand what we're talking about. So I think little by little we're, we're getting somewhere. A lot of the themes in your plays are universal. For example, your latest work about the boxer Jack Johnson, about this man's need for love, his insecurity, looking for belonging. It sounds like it's not only a sense of responsibility towards Afro-descendant writers and directors and women, it's almost like a sense of responsibility towards the world to help people see each other as people. Is that right? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love the way you define it. I'm going to use it from now on because <laughs> I think you're completely right. Yeah, for me, this play, because some people read just that part, like it's a, a, a race issue, and I think it goes beyond that. And it's the way I see theater and the, the way I see life. I think that we're here to try to understand each other and to try to, to understand what love is. And I think that talking about race or gender or being a feminist or whatever, It has to do with that. It has to do with trying to go beyond what you see first and trying to see the human being that's in front of you. I don't have the answer, but I know that it has to do with this thing that you say. You mentioned feeling really supported during your residency past year at the Sala Beckett when you were working with a lot of these kind of tough themes to address. So what was that like, especially trying to balance the residency, which is very exciting with the pandemic? What did you get out of that experience? It was such a trip in so many ways. I asked them to read the first draft and we did that, I think it was March the 5th. So I don't have to tell you what happened next. One week later, <laughs> it's been crazy. But I also think that I know if I say this, it's like something that I shouldn't say, but I have to say it because it's true. It's been quite a blessing, actually. Something that was a small thing that was supposed to happen like in three months and disappear actually became like a part of our lives, still a part of our lives. We're going to Madrid in three months and we're going back to, to Salabeket like in four months. It's been like a journey that we've made together. Of course, it's been tough too, because we had like the opening night and then they closed the theaters one week after. And it was like, this cannot be happening. <laughs> yeah, it was heartbreaking, but I also think that it gave us a sense of purpose. I think we've grown together and we're family. I mean, you cannot forget the team you worked with <laughs> during 2020s. Like, They're gonna be your family forever. And I also think that it was a great opportunity to have the time to understand what we were talking about on a deep level because we had time to do it. To be grateful about the way they treated us at La Sala I'm really, really grateful because I think there was a lot of bad ways in many theaters. They were not paying people. You didn't know if you were gonna come back or not. And in our case, that was not the case ever. They took really good care of us. It's been weird, but I felt so secure. And so, yeah, so so taken care of and so loved at the end. I'll go back any any day, not to 2020, but to La Sala Beckett for sure. <laughs> During your residency, you also taught several courses in writing for the stage, right? So were you able to teach these courses in person or did you have to do it online? And what do you feel like was the one thing that you wanted your students to take away from this experience, especially during the craziness of 2020? The, the classes I gave, half of it was in person and then we had to do the rest of it online. And then I gave another class that was completely online. It's difficult. <laughs> you have to like change your mindset. When you're at your house, it's completely different and you're, I don't know, drinking a coffee and you're like trying to be a teacher or whatever. But I had the luck to have a great group. They were really like enthusiastic. And actually we did a couple more classes because we wanted to. When I give classes, for me, the most important part of it is trying 
for people to understand that you have to enjoy what you do. I always say that I love directing and there are many things that I love about theater, but I would never give you up writing, never. That would be like the only thing I would never give up. Of course, there's a very technical part and like structure and how does it work, the part that you have to know how to do. But there's another part that has to do with who you are that it comes across. So for me, the important part was to help them understand that if you decide to write, it's because there's something inside you that really wants to come out. And the other day, one of my students asked me if I wrote thinking about the production. I do, it's impossible not to think about it, but if, like, if you see the cast for El Aliento de las Ancestras, it's 12 people. So I'm not thinking about production, of course, because I wouldn't write a play for 12 people, but I'm thinking about it because it's like 25 characters, so it's like half and half. But I told her that I think that we have to be very aware of this, linking like the writing with the production scene, because it tends to cut your creativity. If you think that they are only producing, a, I don't know, monologues, the city is gonna have only monologues. And second of all, because it's not like a guarantee of nothing. I mean, maybe you write a play for 10 and they produce it, and you write a monologue and nobody produces. So you might as well do what you want and makes you happy and expands your soul and forget about the production. That's like the second part of it. I know that you're going to be revisiting the Combate Segla, I can't pronounce it. I know you're going to be revisiting that. <laughs> There's more shows coming up. So what do you have coming up now that 2021 is upon us? I'm writing a, a couple of things. I don't know what they are. I, I do know what they are, but it's in my mind, it's completely clear, but it's not as clear as I would want it to be like to explain. One of them has to do with death, but not like in a sad way, but it has nothing to do with the pandemic, but it has everything to do with it. For me last year, it was a question of how do you say goodbye when you cannot say goodbye? And how do you deal with that? So that's one thing that's like in the cloud. And then I have a couple of projects in Costa Rica because I have a, a professional relationship with Costa Rica still. So I wrote a musical. <laughs> It was quite hard because it's like a completely very specific, like the structure, like the technical part of it. And for me, it was very interesting to try to understand. I love music and I always use music in my plays, always. But the difference between a play with music and a musical theater, I had to understand it as a playwright. You have to pass it down to the person that's writing the lyrics and to the one who's writing the music and you have to let it go. It's not only yours. You have to give that space to the music to be a, a dramatic part of it. And then they offered me another thing, another theater in Costa Rica, also a musical, so maybe I'll become a musical theater playwright. But I'm really enjoying it. I think that it's quite exciting because it's something that I've never done. I read like a hundred books about it. And then I had like a girl that really knows about it that was working with us. Yeah, it's been quite exciting to start doing things that I have no idea how to do. <laughs> It's like, it's so great to thank you and I love hearing about your work and hopefully I'll get to see one of your plays in person one day. Thank you and I'm looking forward to coming to a concert with you or something so we'll meet. And I hope it's in person and it's not like online because art is meant to be like people together. Thank you so much Denise for hanging out with us at the Metropolitan Culture Corner and for sharing your insights, your passion for your work. The city of Barcelona has just such an amazing pool of talent across all kinds of artistic disciplines. The people who have come here from other places all across the globe who decided to stay and make their lives here have made the local scene that much richer, that much more diverse, so much more interesting, so much more inspiring. We're just, we're a really lucky town, I have to say. Be on the lookout for Denise Duncan's next production or productions. Follow what she does, support artists to explore themes that might make you question your outlook or that might make you uncomfortable because that's how we learn. That's how we evolve as people, right? 
And as always, thank you to Metropolitan for supporting the local scene by letting me do these fascinating interviews. See you next month with our next special guest on the Metropolitan Culture Corner. Thank you.